0: if you somehow miss the fact that yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the landing of the first men on the moon, I'd like to know how you did that. I'd like to know what technology dome you've discovered or what rock you've been, what cave you've been living in. I mean, obviously this has been all that's been in the news and exactly and appropriately so. I was 11 years old when this happened, 1969. Some of you don't know there was a 1969. You have no idea. That's dinosaurs roaming the earth and all of that and you know, they say you never forget where you were when things of significance happen. That really is true for me. I still remember. I almost put up there a picture of the kind of television set we were watching this on, but I felt too old in doing it. It doesn't look like that. Let's just say that in 1969, Walter Cronkite and all of that. But while all of us that happened to be alive back then were watching what seemed like a miracle, there was so much we didn't know that was going on, so much that we learned years later. Did you know that Buzz Aldrin who was in that lunar landing module called Eagle with uh, Neil Armstrong, of course, had arranged with his Presbyterian pastor back in Houston to get permission to have a communion service in the lunar module before they stepped out onto the moon. I think that's awesome. Uh, Armstrong, not a man of faith like Aldridge, but he watched. But he watched as Buzz Aldrin celebrated communion before they stepped out. Another thing we didn't know is how dangerous All of this really was. We just watched it land, as it were. You know, we kind of saw what happened as a result of all of that. Well, you may have seen some of the stories. As Eagle is coming into the moon, uh, Armstrong, who's piloting, sees that the onboard computer has overshot the landing site by four miles. They're about to land in the midst of boulders and craters that are going to destroy the landing module, and they'll be killed. So he has to take over manual control of Eagle as it's coming down. He starts to set it down in one place, but there are more boulders there. So he goes past that, and there's a crater. Then he finds another place, and by this point, he has 60 seconds of landing propulsion fuel left. If they run out, a crash lands, and they die. 60 seconds left. He's setting it down, and so much lunar dust is being generated by the rockets, he can't see to land. He navigates by giant boulders sticking up around the dust. The people back in Houston are watching this. And they said Lady, none, later, none of them were breathing. It <laughs> seemed like for minutes at a time. So that when finally he set it down and he said, eagle has landed, for all of them, this was a much more hazardous thing than any of us knew. Then Neil Armstrong gets ready to leave the lunar module to make that one small step for man, one giant step for mankind, and his spacesuit catches on a switch on the side of the landing module. He has to pull his suit off, and it breaks the switch, which he repairs with a ballpoint pin. That would scare me to death. My life is, depending on a ballpoint pen, stuck in a switch in the lunar landing module. They then get out and start making their spacewalk. We're familiar with these pictures. The people that made the spacesuits are terrified. They thought they were just going to get out and walk carefully around. They start jumping around, running around up there. The spacesuits are not designed for this. If they trip and fall, they will tear the suit the suit will immediately decompress, and they will die while the whole world watches. We didn't know any of that, watching all this going on. We didn't know until years later that Michael Collins, the third astronaut who was in the orbiting command module while, Aldrin, while Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong were on the moon, Michael Collins said later he predicted the odds of the three of their surviving Apollo 11 is only 50-50 when they got on the ship to take off. But as the man who was directing the landing on the moon said later, what America will dare, America will do. It was pretty cool. So we've been walking through the Beatitudes this summer. We come today to the last and to Jesus' call to courage. When he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why would Jesus need to say that to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount? What is it about the Christian faith that would cause Christians to have to face persecution with courage? Well, here's the current state of affairs. Here's a map showing you in non-gray all the countries on earth persecuting Christians today. It's estimated that Christians make up 30% of the world's population, but they suffer 80% of the world's religious persecution. Another scholar says that 90% of all individuals on the planet who are killed for their faith, martyred for their faith, are Christians. That may not feel relevant to you and me sitting here in chapel today. We don't feel very persecuted here, do we? As long as the air conditioning works, we're good, right? Don't feel very persecuted out here. But our culture is making a shift was a day when the church was central to the culture and everybody went to church, you know, or at least they said they did. Remember those days? Remember when stores were closed on Sunday? They were called blue laws. I don't know why they were called blue laws. and not green laws or purple laws, but they were called blue laws. Sure, there's a reason for that someplace. No one would ever do a soccer practice on a Sunday. You remember? Well, some of you remember those days. Some of us are old enough. And then the church moves from being central to being kind of peripheral to the culture, kind of a hobby, you know? Fine, if you go to church, but don't tell me I have to go to church, now there's another turn, from central to peripheral to dangerous to culture. This is Sam Harris, the atheist who says science must destroy religion. This is Richard Dawkins, who says religion is a virus in the software of humanity that must be expunged. Christopher Hitchens' best-selling book, God is Not Great, is subtitled, How Religion Poisons Everything. The argument is that religion causes clergy abuse scandals. And 9-11s and planes flying into buildings and terrorism and religion spends money on buildings instead of people in heaven rather than earth. And Christianity is outdated, irrelevant, if not dangerous, is the turn. We see that in our culture today. If you want to stand up in our culture and defend biblical marriage, somebody's going to call you a bigoted, prejudiced, homophobe. If you say life begins at conception, people are going to say you're part of a war on women. I've read stories about CEOs who've gotten in trouble with their boards because they had a Bible on their desk. There are cities in America that are outlawing the public wearing of religious jewelry. You say, well, none of that could happen in Texas, right? Do you follow what happened in San Antonio recently with Chick-fil-A? The city council down there voted not to allow Chick-fil-A to open a restaurant in their airport. The reason was this. The Kathy family that started and owns Chick fil A made a private personal donation from their personal funds to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And on that basis, because of a private personal donation from their personal funds, the city council voted, I think, seven to two, to borrow Chick fil A as a restaurant from the San Antonio airport. Now, I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm just here to say Jesus' statement is still relevant. It was relevant in his day. Notice that Jesus says, blessed are those who are, not those who could be, not those who might be persecuted. Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus told his followers, when, not if, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And I thought this was an important statement from Thomas Akempis in the 15th century. The devil sleepeth not, neither is the flesh as yet dead. Therefore, cease not to prepare thyself for the battle, for on thy right hand and on thy left are enemies who never rest. That's your devotional thought for the day, right? Isn't that your encouraging thought? Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted, and it may come from outside, it may come from inside. I mean, you're the A-team. You're showing up at chapel on a Sunday morning when no one makes you do that. There's no membership. You don't have to do that. You're here because you wanted to worship Jesus. Well, the enemy knows about that. He's not happy about that. If he can't steal faith, he'll try to take your witness. He'll come against you. There's opposition For following Jesus. I think I've told you the story about the Christian and the non-Christian walking down the road, and the devil jumps out from behind the bush, and the non-Christian jumps behind the Christian and says, quick, save me, protect me. And the Christian says, no, he's already got you. It's me he's after. You know? He can't steal your soul, but he sure wants your witness. And he will do what he can. He will do what he can. So then why would we choose to be courageous followers of Jesus? Why follow Him publicly? Why stand up for Christian truth and morality? Why do what's hard? Why make a commitment to Jesus that comes at a personal cost? Why would you do that? Let me offer you some reasons before we're done. First of all, from the, from the eighth beatitude, Jesus says, suffering believers experience, oddly enough, great joy. When the Beatitude says, blessed are those who are persecuted, the word blessed, we've talked about this this summer, translates makarios, a Greek word which means a sense of well-being transcending circumstance, a sense of joy transcending happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. Your happiness is based on the weather outside or how the weekend's been for you or how the kids are doing or what you have planned for tomorrow or what's going on in your life. Our, our happiness depends on Happen happenstance. If if Mike ever forgets to pay the bills and we come up one Sunday with air conditioning, it's gonna be hard to feel happy, right? But you can still feel blessed. Blessed. Happiness transcending circumstance, Jesus says. This is, I think, a remarkable statement in Acts chapter five. When the apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel, it says when they, that's the Sanhedrin, their religious authorities, called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. These are the same men that arranged for Jesus' crucifixion. All right? How do they respond? Are they terrified? Do they promise never to preach again? What do they do? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I love Justin, the martyr statement. You can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. If you're willing to follow Jesus at a personal cost, there will be a joy in your life you could not find in any other way. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying you'll be happy. But if you're willing to follow Jesus courageously, there's joy. So where is that step for you? What is it God's asking you to do that comes at a cost? Is it at school? Is it at work? Is it in your personal life? Is it something you want you to do you're not doing? Is it something you want you to stop that you are doing? Is it someone to forgive or seek forgiveness from? Is there a place in your life where God's asking you to take a step at a cost? If you will, you'll know great joy, Jesus says. Second fact suffering believers receive great reward. Jesus says, back to the Beatitude. Let me step back to that real quickly. Well, don't you love technology? There we go. Theirs is, theirs is, not theirs will be, not theirs could someday be, that not when it will be, theirs is right now the kingdom of heaven. Right now. If you're being courageous in following Jesus, right now you're making him your king. Right now you're making all that his kingdom offers, right now you're in the kingdom. Because Jesus says suffering believers receive great reward. Paul said this. I don't consider the present sufferings worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. Hear that again. Don't hear the airplane. Hear the airplane. Gee, Paul says, I don't consider the sufferings I'm going through. Now think what Paul went through. Think about the imprisonments. Think about the beatings. Think about the lashings. Think about the ridicule. Think about the rejection. Think about all of that. Paul says, I don't consider that worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. And then you've heard this from the martyred missionary, Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, I'm not offering a transactional thing here where if you follow Jesus courageously, it's like uh, giving him a credit card and on the other side, you have some guaranteed result here. It's not that. It's not that we obligate God. It's not that we earn anything from God. But when we follow God courageously, we position ourselves to receive his best. And it always outweighs the cost always. The benefit of following Jesus always outweighs the cost. Not always here. Not always here. This is not health and wealth. This is not. If you'll just trust Jesus, I promise you'll have more money next week. It's nothing like that. It's not the idea that if you follow Jesus, you'll never cough and always drive a cattle, like as someone said. It's not that. All right? But whether it's here or there, Paul said, I don't consider the present sufferings worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. There is, there is great reward for those who follow Jesus courageously. Third fact, very quickly, you will join a great fraternity. You're not alone. One of the reasons I love going to Cuba is because the Cubans tell us that a ministry of presence for them is uh, the greatest gift we can give. More than half of the people living in the interior of Cuba have never seen the ocean. Hard to believe, isn't it? They tell us more than half. They don't have the money to get there and no reason to go. More than half of the people living in the interior of Cuba have never seen the ocean. More than 90% never been off the island. And they feel so alone. They feel so isolated. So when believers from the states go to Cuba, we show them they're not alone. We show them they're part of a great fraternity. Well, here's the other side. When I go to Cuba and I watch the price these people are paying to follow Jesus, I realize I'm not alone. And what they're paying is so much more than what I'm paying. Look at this from the book of Hebrews. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Well, hmm, not sure what happened. (laughs) Mike, any idea what happened to the screen? We just lost the PowerPoint. No, it's not my phone. So uh, no idea what happened there. We will move on. I'm sure John the Baptist had PowerPoint and technology, aren't you? And the reason he baptized in in Camel's hair was so that he would cover up the microphone while he was out there so it wouldn't get wet. I'm sure that's the case. I'm all right, actually. Thank you, though. Yeah, I'm actually good. But that's never happened before. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? What did I say before? The devil knows where you are. Did I say that before? Did I mention before that if you follow God, the enemy won't be happy with you? Hey, he did it. Look at that. Mike, you fixed it. You're a tech genius. I don't know how you did that, but... There you go. We got it. So to continue this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others had their PowerPoint go away right as they were talking. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. I don't feel so bad. For whatever price the Lord is asking me to pay, to do what he's calling me to do. When I realize I'm part of a great fraternity of people who are serving Jesus at much greater cost, I'm encouraged to serve him at whatever cost. And then last, suffering believers merit a great kingdom. When Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he means it right now. And then Paul says, if we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. So let me come back to ask you that question again. Is there a place in your life where God's asking you to serve Him at a cost? Is there something He's asking you to do that is more than you have, to this point, chosen to give? If it was easy, you would have already done it. And so right now you're thinking about the cost-benefit ratio. And you're deciding whether or not it's worth it to do what right now appears to cost more than it pays. So hear the last beatitude. Hear Jesus say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who are willing to pay a price for righteousness' sake. Blessed are they. That's God's Word. That's God's promise. And if you believe His promise, you'll experience all that He offers, but only then, only then. I'll close with this. This... A man may not be familiar to you. He's not been known much in our culture. He was born in 1889 in India. Sandhu Sundar Singh, that was his name. He became a Christian in a family that persecuted him for his faith severely. In fact, some of his family members tried to poison him when he made a commitment to Christ as Lord. When he began preaching, he was arrested repeatedly. He was stoned and left for dead. One time he was tied to a tree as prey for wild animals. One time, his enemy sewed him into a wet animal skin, thinking that when the skin dried, he'd be crushed to death. He disappeared in 1929 on a mission journey. He was considered probably to have been martyred. The Indians consider him their Francis of Assisi. Well, I'll tell you his story because of this sentence he left in one of his journals. From my many years' experience, I can unhesitatingly say that the cross bears those who bear the cross. Let's pray. Is there a place in your life today where God's asking you for courage? Where He's asking you for boldness? Where He's asking you to take a step that's hard? Asking you to give up something or to do something or to forgive or seek forgiveness or share your faith or make public your witness or stand for biblical truth and morality or give of your time or your money What is God asking you today to do tomorrow that comes at a cost? Would you believe today that the cross bears those who bear the cross? Would you choose today to be blessed by God? Would you choose today to follow him out of gratitude for grace? Not so he will love you, but because he loves you. Would you choose today to follow the example of the one who died for you? Pray about that right now. Make your decision right now. Father God, I'm just so grateful to be here with my sisters and brothers to be able to worship you today. I'm so grateful for all of those who paid a price for us, those who took a risk to share the gospel with us, those who modeled faith courageously before us, those who have gone before us to pave the way for us. May we be so faithful that others could follow us, That others could follow our example. That others could emulate our courage. That others could know you because we know you. May it be our testimony this week that the cross bears those who bear the cross. We thank you that it's so, in Jesus' name.